Welcome to Bad Science, the show that breaks down the science of a movie with a comedian and a scientist. Today we're discussing After Earth. So I'll ask about biomimicry, fearlessness, and quote, bingo power. But first, a short word from our sponsor. Bad Science. Did the movie get it right? Bad Science. Or will we have to fight? Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Ethan Edinburgh, and I've got two wonderful guests joining me today. First up, he's an astrobiofuturist, an inventor, an immersive storyteller, and he co-hosts the TV series Little Giants on Animal Planet. Welcome to the show, Billy Allman. Hello, everyone. Hi, Billy. Thank you for joining us. Good to be here. Billy, you are certified in biomimicry, which I mentioned earlier. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, biomimicry is this uh, approach to innovation and problem solving where we are studying the uh, natural strategies, the adaptations that organisms on this planet use uh, to solve various challenges. And we essentially understand the underlying mechanisms and strategies in their biology that allow them to solve these problems and then apply those things to coming up with designs and innovations that apply to human problems that are similar to the same challenges these animals are solving for. Okay. Unbelievable. I love this field. And can you give me an example of one of those things? So one of the most readily identifiable examples of biomimicry is Velcro. So the the guy who invented Velcro uh, was this Swedish inventor, and uh, he would always take his dog for walks through the forest, and he would always notice when they came back that the dog had these little spherical seeds uh, that were stuck to its fur. And one day he took the, the seed and looked at it under a microscope and saw that it had all these little curly Q little hooks on the end of it. And uh, he thought, well, this would be a great way to um, attach things because that is the underlying mechanism uh, that the seed uses to propagate itself. So the seed has these curly little Q hooks on the end so that when animals are traveling through the forest, it can latch onto the fur of those animals and essentially get an Uber ride to a place that might be ideal for this seed to, to fall off and eventually sprout into a plant and a tree. And from that, he was like, this is dope. I think I can make something out of this. And from that little curly Q little uh, seed known as a burr seed, we have Velcro. Wow. And now you can get thrown up against a wall and stick to that wall. Right. With your friends. Through his technology. Exactly. Thank you, biomimicry. <laughs> yes. And thank you, dog. And thank you, Swedish <laughs> Swedish inventor. Uh, I think his name was Mr. Velcro. Mr. Velcro. <laughs> Sorry, uh, yeah. it's my hip hop horn. No, that's great. Please actually continue doing that throughout the podcast. I, I, I will hold you to that. Okay, but please do. <laughs> uh, that second voice you heard is our other guest. He is an actor and YouTuber you might have seen on shows like Shameless and The Rookie. And earlier today, he lost a dramatic overtime tennis match with a heartbreaking final score of eight to six. It's Will Westwater. Poof. With an intro like that, <laughs> the saddest thing about our tennis game today, Ethan, was that I lost on a second serve. I hit the net. That's right. On the second serve. And that was double the, faulted. Was, yeah, double faulted for, for, you know, game set match. Ugh. Yeah. Other than that, great rallies. Great rallies. It was a great game. Uh, wonderful to play with you. Wonderful to have you on the podcast. And I mean, now your day must be getting much better because you get to talk to Billy. Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited. I'm curious to see what you thought, especially, you know, God, 
when so much about this movie is about adaptation on Earth and how these organisms have adapted and how humans have adapted to figure out how to deal with these other organisms on the other planet and all that other stuff. But yeah, I'm really excited. Great to meet you, Billy. Yeah, to piggyback on that, I think that's a great place to start, Will. Like, how did you feel? What was your emotional experience and your logical mind experience watching this movie, Billy? I honestly had big hopes uh, when it first came out mm. because the trailer was awesome. <laughs> the trailer the trailer was like, okay, you know, it's Will Smith and his son going on a father-son trip through space. Mm-hmm. And, oh, no, stuff goes down, right? Yeah. So I'm like, okay, it's been a while since we've had, like, Will Smith in kind of a Independence Day kind of role. So I was excited in general. Uh, and then I saw the film and and then I heard the accents that they chose to use. And then I was just like, OK, like, <laughs> where were those accents from? I, Do you thing. know? I don't I know. Oh, the accents really quickly. <laughs> Please break it down. Pull you out of everything. All right. So for those who may not have seen this movie, the accents are totally made up. Because it's this, you know, colony after Earth, after we've left Earth and we've gone to, what was it? Nova Prime. Nova it's Prime. It's a Nova Prime, Prime yeah. accent, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, it's like uh, Andy, my girlfriend, looked it up as we were watching because we immediately... Great. It, it distracts you. It makes you stop and go, <laughs> what are... Th what? And it's like a mix of like mid-Atlantic, mm. uh, South African, and I Ooh. think like some other... Anyway, but regardless, it's just... It makes you ask questions. It makes you Google things. It makes you stop the movie. Right. An interesting artistic choice. Yeah, don't don't make your audience Google, I guess, is a good rule. Yeah. Accents were weird. Um, how, how did you feel about how the earth was portrayed? I thought it was interesting. So, so you know, in, in preparation for this, obviously, I, I cheated a little bit, did some research. No, I love that. That's the opposite of cheating. That's like <laughs> extra credit. That's really cool. <laughs> okay, Gold it. star. Gold star, Billy. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, you know, the minute that that baboon popped up, all hulked out. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. <laughs> and and then they're like, this is Earth, right? Like that's there. That's my sample of the accent. This is Earth, yep. right? With the yep. I guess that's U T H is how you spell it. <laughs> um, <laughs> to nail the accent, Earth. <laughs> then they're like, okay, this is a thousand years after they've left. So it would take it would take about a half million to five million years for new species to evolve. Mm. So you know to have these roided out. Uh, baboons show up that hunt in packs they hunt in packs too is that right yeah yeah they're Every... like smart like they organized yeah so it's it's pretty implausible the extreme changes that those organisms went through to be you know as as different as they were mm. so that right there like that that puts you in a category of okay this is this is not sci-fi this is fantasy would you rather they have gone somewhere else like could you just have called this planet a different name and like a lot of the issues would be solved for you? I think if it was a different planet, yes, but then you'd have to go back and change the name of the film, right? <laughs> well, just right. call it After Earth, U-T-H. <laughs> yeah, no one will know what you're talking about. Yeah, whatever. I, the thing is, I, I like the overall premise of we're going back to Earth um, and, you know, things have changed. But I think it was just, it kind of moved so much into parody because of those changes right. that it might as well have been another planet. Yeah, I, I feel like, first of all, a thousand years and also the fact that uh, the gravity is different than what, than what they're used to on Nova Prime. Although that 
is brought up and then kind of tossed aside immediately. Yeah. Never really followed up on. Mm -hmm. He feels heavier. Yeah. He feels heavier and then doesn't for the rest of the movie other than that time. Well, then he mans up, bro. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. that's actually a good point because, I mean, one, I, I didn't see them like past the moon or anything like that on their way crashing into the planet. And it's not like the planet grew to the size of Jupiter or, or shrunk. So, yeah, the gravity thing is... It seems pretty preposterous. I mean, the big one for me was the planet freezing over. Just because I felt like, I'll buy that it freezes over. That's fine. But that it freezes over every night yeah. and then thaws out every morning felt a little bit like, okay, now you're pushing it. Well, you're pushing that, me. Nah, and that... Don't push me. Yeah. I thought they were pushing it ever since Will Smith got ripped out of, out of that <laughs> freaking <laughs> ship. And then he's like still alive. Everybody's dead but him. Okay. That's actually a great point because in that shot, when he falls out, I don't think he... Like the tail end of the ship disappears, right? It breaks off. Mm -hmm. But I don't think he's in it while it breaks off. Right? I thought it broke away and then he like fell out the ship. It looked like he got sucked out. Yeah. Right? Yep. That's what it looked like to me. So, yeah, that's, you know, strike two. Yeah, right, exactly. Implausibility. <laughs> We're going to make a list. What What about the thing becoming Ice Age every night? Oh, I mean, is that oh, yeah. wacko psycho or am I am I off kilter here? No, I mean, there's extremes. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely places on this planet that have temperature change extremes, right? Like it happens in the desert, not necessarily to, to that extreme. So those swings are not out of the norm but the extent the hyperbole that they went to for it does not make a lot of sense and that the whole planet freezes over no no and and then also and that the flora and fauna would have yeah. to deal with that too exactly mm. so all of these plants and animals that you're seeing survive this extreme freeze if we can't survive it to to a very large extent, none of these things would have been yeah. able to make it either. And all those, I'm, all those plants, the fact that they close up, you're like, yeah, but that doesn't solve right the right. the fact that you are clearly a tropical plant, and yes. now everything's freezing and everything's like it's not. These aren't evergreens. Yes, when, when he's running through that forest and it's starting to freeze. <laughs> exactly. Like, like, and and think of it the looks humidity like he's in the Amazon. Yeah, think of the humidity right that you would have to experience of of that warming up of all of that moisture, like he would have lost like 10 pounds of sweat just in just in running a couple of miles from those hulked out baboons. So uh, yeah, this is this, the more the more we talk about it, the more I realize how preposterous and ridiculous this whole movie really is. Yeah. Yeah, it was hard to avoid. But I will say while watching it, I was like plenty to talk about though for the podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, all right. I, have, I do have a question for Billy. Kick it. The excretion of pheromones. That's a big one. Do we have fear pheromones? I don't, I don't know if you're qualified to answer that. So wait, but... let me let me set this up, Will. So yeah. if you haven't seen it, the aliens in the movie release the Ursa. Now, I know what you're thinking. Is the Ursa also an alien? I've, I think so. So I'm not sure why there, there's a difference there in terminology, but okay. The aliens, who I don't know what they do or what they look like, drop the Ursa, the creature that they have bred to kill humans, that thing is blind but can smell our fear. And so I guess, A, the aliens are like bad at killing humans. Did you guys get that vibe? Like they can't do it themselves. Mm -hmm. And then also like the human race just didn't figure out that these things are blind and like how to not have them smell us or smell our fear, I guess. But yeah, anyways, that same guy you were talking about before, the Game of Thrones guy is like describing what happens when you're afraid. And he says that adrenaline's pumping through your blood and that your heart beats faster and your pores open up and secrete 
pheromones that tell it that we're afraid. Is that how it works? So there's a there's a study called Interspecies Transmission of Emotional Information via chemo signals from humans to dogs. Whoa. And in this, essentially the study finds that uh, dogs can smell human emotions and respond accordingly. So, you know, when, uh, when a person gets scared, there's sweat glands that start secreting moisture. Uh, and, you know, our, this sweat, it contains uh, chemical signals that dogs can pick up on. Damn. So there's, there's precedent for the idea of it. Um, I, I, I personally, when it comes to like turning on and off fear, so one, there's a difference between fear and anxiety, but the, the, the reactions that our bodies have in terms of like kind of triggering our, our fight, flight or freeze response, uh, is, is rooted kind of, it, there's a lot of similarities there, but the idea of like turning off something that is so hardwired in our biology, I kind of find uh, a little iffy. Um, but if you, if you intellectualize fear the way that I feel like they did in the film, then yeah, I guess you could turn off your fear, but I don't think you can turn off your body's response to how we perceive threats. Wow. Wow. So I'm going to put that in the win column only because it's a little bit more plausible than the thousand year transformation. And at least it's some sort of idea that might like theoretically could happen, but the fear response thing is in the loss column. So we're now at one win, three losses. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> for realistic. Day of losing for you. Right? Taking that L. I'm familiar with losing today. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. A huge, uh, a huge theme in this movie is fear. I want to hear what each of you are most afraid of right after this break. The break is over. Here we go, back to the show about science. We're back, and to quote Will Smith in After Earth, fear is not real. The only place that fear can exist is in our thoughts of the future. It is a product of our imagination, causing us to fear things that do not, at present, and may never exist. Do not misunderstand me, danger is very real, but fear is a choice. Were you just saying before the break, Billy, that you don't believe that, or do you think that... If you intellectualize it like he does, if you truly believe that, you could walk around life fearless. No dog could smell your fear stench. Well, I, I think that if you conflate fear and anxiety to around like a perceived threat, then I think it's very hard to, to turn off fear. But if you separate like how we respond when our bodies perceive or when we perceive a threat which is hardwired into our biology which is also rooted in you know our brains and how our brains work in terms of pattern recognition right and how we process information how we you know we we try to our brains kind of shortcut a lot of processing by you know forming these patterns of things that we've seen before and then we make quick decisions based on those patterns right that's where like a lot of you know, uh, unconscious bias and, and things like that come from, right? Mm -hmm. So if you, if there's certain things that you've previously been afraid of, um, that your body, you know, responds to those things, you know, you have to train yourself to, to kind of unprocess those patterns. And, and so I think in, in that way, you can train yourself to not be afraid of things. But I think like the idea of, you know, being in front of an alien creature that's only purpose is to kill you and five minutes of meditation in the moment will cure you of, of sweating and, and your, your system kind of uh, doing its kind of automatic processing. 
I think that's a very hard thing to do personally. That makes sense. Do you are do you have those patterns still or have you meditated enough to <laughs> to break them? Well, lately I haven't been around enough killer alien blind creatures. Oh no. So I I I'm I'm below my quotient on uh meditative fear practices. Does Zoloft count? <laughs> I don't know. Am I can I say what counts? Is that for me to do? It reduces the adrenaline response. <laughs> Certainly chills me out. Are you running from aliens? I guess it would be the question. Do you have No, I'm I'm just running from day-to-day anxiety. <laughs> ah, got it. Makes more sense. Okay. I was gonna ask also if we had other places to live. Like we go to Nova Prime, quote unquote, in this movie. I mean, where do you think we would go if, you know, scientists told us like, hey, we got ten years, pack up your shit and let's move. Yeah. So for me, so right now there's a lot of buzz around going to Mars and going to the moon, all these really great conversations, a lot of really great innovations and, you know, things are happening. Um, and there's, there's this really great book by this um, brilliant man named Frank White uh, called The Overview Effect. And it talks about the experience that astronauts have um, when, when they go into space and they get the opportunity to see Earth from space, something that, you know, very few people have ever got to experience. And this kind of psychological impact that it has on, on, you know, kind of how they define themselves and see themselves and see humanity and and see how fragile the world is. So to, to answer your question, for me, I think the safest place for us to go, the cheapest place for us to go is to the moon Mm -hmm. and set up moon bases because in the interim of trying to figure out like, where the next earth is you know we could we could still make some trips back to earth pick up some groceries before we decide where we're finally gonna go mm-hmm. um and and you also have the benefit of seeing the moon one thing there's a lot of things that people don't necessarily realize that kind of get lost in the in the romanticism of traveling to other planets and you know mars is farther away from the sun so there's not necessarily the same amount of sunlight there's no atmosphere on Mars, so the idea of living in a in a glass bubble where there's all of these, you know, snowstorms and radiation that we're not being protected from above the surface um, doesn't make that like a sexy thing. No. So most likely people living on Mars are probably going to be living in lava tubes beneath the surface. <laughs> so that'll be fun. Imagine living in a cave, right? Um, oh my God. Lava tubes also? Is that... The name of that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Also known Yikes. as warp pipes. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like the like plausibility of actually living there, I agree with you that I, I think it should be some sort of like a stopping point before going to something else. Because the thing that this movie assumes that we already have like interstellar travel that that we can mm-hmm. you know they they kind of it looked like they almost went into a black hole and kind of jumped like kind of like with the interstellar where you uh-huh. almost just enter this like a wormhole this, this wormhole yeah it looked like a wormhole but if we don't have those the distances i mean i'm you know i may be an actor but i know that at least it's ridiculous the distances from stuff that's outside of our solar system you're talking about years and years and years and years and years to get anywhere Oh yeah, sort of speed we have. There's this um, there's this organization and this this effort uh, that was launched by NASA, and um, I know that uh, the astronaut May Jemison um, was also heavily devolved, involved in in uh, exploring it, and I think she was leading a lot of the work called the Hundred Year Starship, and it was it was essentially an exploration of like what would it actually take for us to get to 
you know, the next solar system. Uh, I, I want to say I want to say it was the next solar system or the the closest planet uh, in our neighboring uh, solar system. I want to say, and you know, it takes all of these generations. Like people are going to live and die on these spaceships until we have that level of technology. So there's people who you know, imagine being the middle child in in terms of like generations, right? You have the generation who leaves, who are on the starship. You have the, the generation that um, are born and die on the starship. And then you have like the several, the last generation who gets off the starship and finds the planet, right? Imagine being stuck and all you know, you're, you're the middle child generations of, of just living on this spaceship. And that's all you know. But you hear all of these stories of what Earth was like from these previous generations. That was something uh, I was talking to someone about. And, you know, it's just... It, <laughs> I love space exploration, um, but there's so much that that people like romanticize that when you really think about it, it totally falls flat in terms of its appeal. Yeah, yeah I, I think there's certainly room for both because I, especially watching movies like this, it's a really quick way to see both sides of the of the fence. It's like on one hand, space is unbelievable, and what could possibly be more interesting than on the other hand, the entire process of getting out into space and traveling to Mars and the whole thing seems like a, a nightmare. <laughs> well, and just, just to paint a picture of what most likely a, a couple of details of for the, like the first couple of people traveling to Mars are going to experience, especially if it's like by a government agency. So from here to, to Mars is, you know, depending on like when you leave and all that kind of stuff, it's like six to eight month trip, right? Mm -hmm. Inside a steel tube, with let's say four to six other people when you also think about the fact like you're drinking each other's pee essentially wait right of course it's you know it's filtered and all that what do you mean essentially it's filtered like, how? <laughs> i mean i mean just because everything has to be a closed looped system you know you have to recycle everything what about poop poop gets freeze-dried right like in the Martian. Oh, yeah, yeah. Turn into soil? Yeah yeah it's it's freeze-dried so it's you know they're still working on like how that you know systems that can uh, essentially process all of that over and over again. But, the, you know, it, traveling to space right now is all about essentialism. Like, what do we absolutely need to get there, do our job, and get back safely, right? So, you know, essentially you're you're stuck in a metal tube uh, traveling, you know, 17,000 plus miles or however fast it is um, for eight, six to eight months uh, you, you know, with the knowledge that you're drinking the pee of the people that you might like actually come to hate over that period of time and you're not allowed to drink alcohol, right? Ooh, didn't know that one. So, well, I mean, at least, at least for, you know, a lot of the government, uh, astronauts right now, right? Like you don't right. want, plus you don't want anybody with a hangover, like flying a rocket into sure. a planet that has no atmosphere, right? That's a good, that's a good call. Yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, think about that. And, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of astronauts have, uh, commented on how boring, it can be in space. So there's all these psychological uh, things. Yeah. I don't even know where I was going with all that, but you're painting a beautiful, terrifying picture, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I feel like we, uh, we had a, a tiny, tiny fraction of what all of those people would have to go through in being in our homes for an entire year. Right. Um, but no one really seemed happy on after earth. Everybody on the <laughs> ship seemed pretty miserable. <laughs> So, I mean, look at the seats they were using. That sucks. Right? Yeah. We, can we talk, speaking of, all right. His bed's a hammock, Will. Yeah, yeah I, right? I feel like everything was a hammock or it was made of like. <laughs> everything's a hammock in this Everything's movie. a hammock. It looks like it was made of, of spider webs everywhere. <laughs> Jaden Smith's room has all sorts of 
stuff going on. He looks like he's like a, a healer in this village. <laughs> yeah, you're all right. sorts of like vials <laughs> right. and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm always just wondering what all that stuff is. You know, um, I was curious about that too. I was trying to understand, you know, because clearly, okay, it was it was kind of an arid landscape, right? And, you know, they were using wind farming. So, okay, there's a lot of wind. It looked kind of arid and dry. Uh, not a lot of vegetation, but there was like that huge like um, terrarium with air plants mm-hmm. from Earth in it, which I was like, okay. <laughs> um everybody talks weird everybody talks weird it's probably because they don't have enough nutrition because you know they're just eating air plants mm-hmm. um i wish they just did what they did in halo where it's like just a coalition of people from all over the world like a thousand years sure things would change but i feel like you'd still have i don't know it's a just, greenhouse the accents the accents. yeah yeah still stuck on that i'm with you the the expanse is a, a way better space show by the way mm. The expanse. Well, it's not. It's not a movie, but no. Hey, I'll check it out. That sounds great. Yeah. That oh, does sound you, good. okay. You guys have got to watch the expanse. Stop watching on, After Earth on. so many times and watch the expanse. <laughs> yes. Great. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go back to the show about science. Okay, I wanted to ask about the ionic layer that causes electrical interference that the volcano blasts out. Do you know about that? Did that ring true to you? So I, I can't say that I'm I'm overly familiar with like a lot of the the science of all that went into that, but it did seem like, bro, you're flying pretty close to what are undoubtedly some toxic fumes coming out of that volcano. So if you can't breathe from your two little, you know, um, Danish plastic danish <laughs> air things right, right? ikea air filter <laughs> yeah right. whatever that was his little vape pods vape pods. i don't i don't see how you could <laughs> i don't see how you could survive you know the air already being hard for you to breathe and then breathing in these chemicals while flying and avoiding creatures well, what about the signal part of it like to me i thought it was kind of weird that like he has to go to these fumes to get better Wi-Fi? Oh yeah, yeah, that doesn't make sense at all. That's when it works. It's like, oh, let me, let me hold my let me hold my phone up. <laughs> yeah, and he's holding you know, it up. To get better right. reception. <laughs> he's holding it yeah, up like everybody uh, used to do. The best and we thought by this cloud of toxic <laughs> smoke. It doesn't look like an Ethernet booster. The volcano. It looks like it would disturb yeah. your signal. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. can we talk about his staff? Because that was cool. Oh, yeah. Awesome. That was cool. That was really Although, cool. Although, I got to point out, I want to say, when he gives it to him, he says, like, there's 24 alterations or something. And yeah. then, like, do we, we don't see it change that much, bro. No, we don't. No. We really don't. I wanted to see, like, <laughs> more fun stuff with that. Right. I did, too. I did, too. I loved, I loved how he, like, jammed it up above and it, like, like, expanded into the rock as he climbed up. Yeah. That was pretty... Like... There were plenty of of cool moments in this movie. I really also like, you know, as in terms of like biomimicry, his suit changes to whatever situation he's in. Yeah, Um, sort of. Sometimes it does. I felt like sometimes the suit was either lazy or didn't realize what was going on. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And and clearly they didn't have any jobs. I mean, they were just they were just practicing on these blind animals and wind farms and, and making suits that don't work. <laughs> you had one job to do. You had one job. Right. And the suits are only used to Nova Prime. Right. Of course. Yeah. I think the biggest thing was they cast like one of the most charismatic actors in one of the least charismatic parts. Oh, yeah. Like, Will Smith. Will Smith plays like the just most like robot dad. Robot dad. Yeah, exactly. A little like, bit he's of robot totally dad. just like an army yeah. guy. Yeah, that's yeah. true. 
Um, I have to bring this up, Billy. Um, you've had an unbelievable past. We could do a whole podcast on what you've done, where you've been. But I, I would get yelled at by my producer, Emily, if I didn't bring it up. You worked as an Imagineer. Is that correct? Yes. What? I don't want you to get sniped out by, <laughs> you know, uh, secret ops or whatever. But what can you tell me about this experience? Um, I, I would say that working as a theme park designer, uh, as an immersive experience designer, um, or, or as, a, as a designer who does, who does immersive experiences for theme parks, whichever, however you want to cut it up, is by far one of the coolest jobs uh, I've ever had. And there's amazing people that work there. And there's this culture of, you know, Walt Disney has this quote of, it's kind of fun to do the impossible. And people, people that work there live in that. Uh, so if you've ever been to one of those theme parks, you get to experience um, the, you know, for lack of a better word, the magic of people in their daily uh, work making the impossible happen. And it's so cool because it's it's like being on a campus where you're working with really talented engineers and artists on the same project. And so I think that's what what the end result is. It's this really artistic, scientific masterpiece that people get to experience from all over the world, which is, it's really cool. Yeah, that sounds unbelievable. Um, yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Anything you'd like to promote, tell people about, let people know? I mean, I've, I've had a, a wonderful time talking with you. I hope we, we speak again, but where can people follow you, Billy? Yeah, thank you. Um, likewise. So um, one thing I will say is I do a lot of public speaking and I love talking to students about biomimicry and about you know, what I refer to as the nature of space or how how nature can be found in space, how nature is inspiring space exploration um, and how space has already influenced so much of our lives. Right. Like we are able to do this podcast from all of the various places that we live because because of space exploration. Um, we have cameras in our cell phones that, you know, uh, allow us to, you know, capture you know, not only special moments, but very needed moments of, you know, social justice because of space exploration. Um, so uh, if anyone's looking for me, you can either go to my website, billyallman.com, or you can find me on Instagram at Billy underscore Allman, A-L-M-O-N. Unbelievable. And you are creating and manning your own uh, spaceship from the outside of your house. Is that correct? In your backyard, you're blasting yourself off into space <laughs> by yourself. I, I am working towards uh, eventually. I, I do want to own a space farm. So uh, part of the part of being an astrobiofuturist is the future part, uh, and I think that people are going to need to eat in space. So that's that's a, a long term project that I am actually working on. Do space farms already exist? Um, I would say that methods of food production, there's actually a, a, a NASA proposal out now where they're looking for people to think of new ways to prepare, uh, and, and craft food for space exploration. You know, it's right now it tends to be a lot of, uh, food rations and, you know, freeze dried stuff and processed stuff, stuff like that. So, uh, it's something that people are working on now. Uh, one thing that, another thing in this in this particular uh, context that, that came out uh, from space exploration are vertical farms. You know, hydroponics is is something that you can tie a path back to space exploration with. So definitely, yeah, space gardens 
look beyond the lookout. That sounds great. That sounds like a great movie also. Right? Space Farm, like Space that. Gardens. I'm into that. Honestly, even if it was just a real life place that we could go here in LA to just look at, you know, like a space themed garden or a space themed mm. botanical uh, place, that even sounds, I'll sign up for that. I'm just really happy that, you know, NASA has been kind of pushing more video on their most recent Mars trip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's spreading around to social media because I think that's the kind of stuff that is going to inspire, you know, the next generation. Because at some point we are going to figure, I think, a lot of this stuff out. And it does take crazy dreamers just trying stuff, understanding the odds, but still going. And I think there's, yeah, I mean, it's it, there's literally infinite possibilities like i really i don't know and you think about some of the great minds that we have that have worked on some of this stuff and have theorized and i don't know i just think it's only a matter of time so well will what cool. do you got i mean can how should we bring more food up to space let's just try and you know rattle off like five to ten ideas oh man i mean well first of all there's there you know i watched a vsauce video on uh, space elevators that was really good mm. <laughs> um and how just really hard that would be i don't know i think i think in terms of big space travel we need to figure out either how to move really fast or how to you know create something that can fold the space time you know that gravity you know folding in space or whatever it well does. sure I but know. i like food so if you had to pick <laughs> one food item to go with you to space oh, what would you pick um oh boy i would say uh abachi chicken and fried rice from wow. from benihana Wow. Or like your, you know, your, your hibachi uh, you know. grill. Hibachi uh, grill. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like an hibachi restaurant. It's, it's family style. We have a good time. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Billy, nice. wait, what about you? What are you bringing to space? You got one item. Oh, man. Um, you know, of course, I have to say my wife's cooking, but that's a, that's a, you know, I have to say that. Well, and that's a good, that's a good cheat answer because that kind of gets you like a bunch of items. Right. Yeah. Well, if, and if I couldn't take my wife. You can't cooking, wish for a thousand wishes. Okay, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my, my backup answer is Chipotle. <laughs> I am, Honestly, I it's so funny that you both said like a big name. You didn't just name like <laughs> cheeseburger in general. It was like, no, Chipotle no. specifically, that's what you want. It's the yeah. same burrito every day. I could do it. What's your, what do you order? Uh, rice. Uh, okay, so it's burrito, white rice. Sometimes I'll say heavy rice so I can get wow. heavy rice without them charging me. Um, <laughs> I've, I've had a very bad pandemic, you guys. Like, I'm, I'm stress eating like crazy. I mean, you just said the words heavy rice. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> so, white rice, uh, half chicken, half steak. Yep. Um, a little bit of sour cream, guacamole and cheese and corn. No lettuce. No lettuce. And then the vine the vinaigrette on the side. And the vinaigrette on the side. And then my, my version of a diet Coke for that is, is a kombucha. Oh, okay. so, so you bring your I own. it out. Little booch. Oh yeah. Go head head on down to the CVS. Grab me a kombucha and uh. That's what you tell the Chipotle employee. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I'll have a kombucha too. They're like, we don't sell that, sir. You're like, no, no, no. Go get me a kombucha. I will pay you for it. The right. customer's always right. Space Uber Eats. Um. Okay, Will. Yeah. What about you, my friend? Where can people find you? What's your your YouTube channel? I know you've got. Um, yeah. So my YouTube channel, I help actors and I never charge them for it, which is really cool. Uh, it's, uh, on just YouTube, Will Westwater, um, for all your <laughs> acting needs. And then, uh, you can follow me on Instagram where I don't really talk as much about acting and more just, it's just me, uh, at Willie Dubs, Willie with a Y, Dubs with a D, 
or whoops, dubs with a Z, but also with a D. Um, so Willie Dubs Great. on Instagram. Thank you for being here, Willie yeah. Dubs. No problem. Willie Dubs. Um, Billy Allman, you as well. Uh, I, I had a great time, and uh, yeah, hopefully we can, uh, I don't know, find some other, maybe we'll talk about The Expanse. Yeah. Maybe I'll check that out for right? next time. Yeah, I would, uh, I would totally revisit on another movie. I love it. This was awesome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Great to meet you, Billy. Likewise. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bad Science is a Seeker podcast produced by Emily Feld and me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our editor is Lucas Bollinger, and our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. Shout out to EJ and Kate. And the executive Nova Prime Deucer is Brett Kushner. Oh, follow us on Instagram at Bad Science Pod. If there's a movie you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email at badscienceatseeker.com. That's badscienceatseeker.com. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver. But it does help. It makes sure people know about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thanks for listening. Bye.